Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. Judges 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. It says that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over. Now, this is not God bringing this oppression and this uh, uh, challenge in their life. It was their own doing. Amen? This was their own doing. And, you know, God will hand us over to some things. If we choose to wander from his word, if we choose to not give the value and the priority to who he is and what he's doing in our lives as we ought to, we'll find ourselves handed over to some things. And a lot of times we like, we associating blame, I think, you know, is just part of human nature, right? Uh, we have to assign blame for why something is happening. We, we live in a society, and really this was in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam fell and God came looking for Adam, what's the first thing he did? He blamed. He chose the two worst people on the planet to blame. He blamed his wife and he blamed God. Man, I would encourage you, do not follow in Adam's example. Just take ownership for taking the bite out of the fruit yourself. Don't blame God and don't, especially, don't blame your spouse. But this blame game and this assigning of, well, who blew it, who missed it, who did wrong, we have to be careful here. We have to uh, take ownership and say, maybe I'm in this predicament of a shortcoming in my life. Maybe I'm going through this scenario because of something I did. Examine yourself. We love to examine others. I mean, we have lives on display more than we ever have through social media and, and through all the things that we have today. And you know everybody's only presenting their best side. Hello? You're only, I mean, they took a thousand photos and they only posted the one where everybody was actually looking at the camera. We know that on the other side, there's messed up stuff over there just as much as in here. And this examining thing, and where are we looking, and where, where are we processing? It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Verse 2 says, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And I want to camp right there for just a moment. It says, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. When I was reading that this week, I was just kind of studying over this passage. The Lord was showing me that the church has made hiding places today. That you know, when oppression and challenge and, 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 and opposition shows up, it's kind of that fight or flight mentality. You have two responses, right? I can respond and I can fight back and push against what's coming against me, or we can hide. And I believe God is calling us out of hiding as a church in these last days. I should get a much bigger amen for that. I believe God is calling us out of a many of the church. Now, I'm talking about church people. Many churches, many church people have resorted to fleeing in fear. There's a fear of man today that I think is at a, at a higher degree than we've ever seen. A fear of what people will say. A fear of what people will do. A fear of how people will attack a fear how people will martyr you, a, people, a fear of how people will set you up as the one that caused everything to happen. There's a fear today, a fear of many things, but I believe that there's a fear of 
man. I believe one thing that has come out of all this was not just a fear of a virus or fear of sickness and disease. I believe that there has become a fear of man associated that with all that is going on, and that has to be conquered in the name of Jesus. In essence, I said this on Wednesday night, in essence, the church cannot operate in these last days if it feels like it's losing. The church cannot operate and be effective and do kingdom work and do what we're called to do if we're doing it from a position of as if we are losing ground. We are not losing ground. We are taking ground. We are not giving up ground. We are standing firm in the position that the Lord has placed us in. Occupy till I come is what Jesus said. And we're going to remain fixed in that position. And we're not giving ground, and we're not losing ground, and the enemy's not getting stronger, and darkness isn't getting greater. The kingdom of God will always be greater. The kingdom of God will always be mightier. The kingdom of God will always be stronger. And all he's looking for is one righteous person to stand up against the darkness, to stand up against the opposition, to stand up against the oppression. That's all he needs is one. One righteous person will overcome a thousand in darkness. We cannot be manipulated and, 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 and buy into this idea that they have more than we do. I'm reminded of the prophet that had the servant that saw the enemy surrounding him. And what did the prophet say? Lord, open his eyes. He didn't pray, uh, you know, take out some of the enemy. He didn't pray, come and bring, you know, fire down from heaven. He said, open his eyes so that, so that he may see. And what was surrounding them was greater than what was surrounding the prophet and the servant. Sometimes we just need to see with a different perspective. We don't need to see something different. We just need to see something differently. Amen. And I can promise you there is more for you than against you. If God be for you, then who can be against us? David charged after Goliath, and he knew that he didn't even have the support of his brothers. He didn't have the support of his king. He didn't have the support of his army. They've been hiding out. You know, he charged after Goliath and that army all by himself. One righteous man submitted in obedience to God is all that God needs. But in this instance, it says the Israelites made hiding places, and it's time for the church to come out of hiding. It's time for the church to come out of the strongholds that we have built up, that we have put up. I believe that there are some strongholds today that the church has bought into and that now we call them church. But really, they were instituted out of fear. Yeah, I do believe this. There are things that now uh, church leaders... And I'm talking to church people this morning. If you're church people, raise your hand. If you're a believer, raise your hand. If you're sanctified, consecrated, set apart, yeah, I'm talking to church people today. I can't speak for the world and their strongholds and their problems and their issues. I'm talking to the church and the strongholds we have built. And we are hiding behind things that now we have called a part of church. Tangible things. You know, there's a, there's a fear in spirit-filled churches. I know some of these pastors that they can't even speak in tongues from a pulpit anymore for fear of what people will say. And they know the power in it. They've experienced the power of, of praying in the Holy Ghost. They've experienced the power of tongues and interpretation in a corporate setting. They've experienced the power of singing in the Spirit. They've experienced the dynamic power of God by the Holy Spirit, and they cower back, and now we say that we do it to reach more people. We've been manipulated and twisted by an outside system that tells us that you can't get people if you do blank, blank, blank. That's fear. That wasn't instituted because that was the heart of God. That was instituted because you were fearful of what man would say. These are the kind of things that in the last days we're going to have to shed off. These are the kind of things that we're going to have to come out of. It's time to come out of the caves. It's time to come out of the wilderness. It's time to come out of the mountains. It's time to tear down the strongholds, step out boldly in what we know to be true, and stop denying the power of it. 
You know, it tells us in the last days that we will heap up for ourselves teachers. Now, that's tough for me because I'm a teacher and I love to teach. I love to teach. But teaching without demonstration, teaching without the power represented, teaching without the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, all we're doing is talking, talking, talking. And we will heap up, it says, for ourselves teachers, meaning that we will, we will have the podcast and we will have the YouTube and we will have the videos and we'll have the conferences and we'll have this and we'll have that and we'll just fill it all up. We'll have the apps. We'll have all the teaching that you, you can fill every, every hour of the day listening to a different pastor if you want. We have that. But he's looking for a church that's going to come out of hiding. He's, gonna look, he's looking for a church that's coming out of the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Some of these strongholds, mountains, and caves are self-inflicted. We built them. We put ourselves in these positions. It says Israelites, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves. They built them. The devil didn't put you there. You did. The devil didn't bring that opposition. You saw what you were up against and said, it's easier to resort to fleeing than respond by fighting. I can resort to flee or I can respond and fight. And he's looking for a church that will respond and fight. He's looking for a church that will rise up and come out of these strongholds. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian Amalek and the people of the east would attack, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. This is not a good situation. On the outside, this looks very oppressive. On the outside, this looks very doom and gloom. On the outside, this looks like the Israelites, they, they, have, they have no hope of coming out of this. Their enemy is stronger than they. But I want to show you the way out today because I don't care how dark it looks in the world today. I don't care what the news reports say. I don't care uh, what they say about American Christianity and it's on a decline and people are running away from churches and churches are closing doors and all these different things. I don't care what it says. Our kingdom is still strong and we have a kingdom that is unshakable. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, I'm going to show you out of this story, it just takes one. And my question today, I'll ask the question before I even get you there, is will you be the one? It says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. You know, it's amazing today. Have you ever noticed that we only hear a cry for revival when things are bad? You know, the book of Judges is a funny book because it clearly and unequivocally shows us this cycle of destruction. God's people follow him. They fall away. They begin to buy into the things of the world. Little by little. We've talked about this before. Not a hard 90, I don't want to follow God anymore, but they begin to tolerate and begin to instigate and begin to allow, little by little, things that we have no business introducing into our system, into our plans, into our lives, into our house. And before you know it, you are so far off of God's mark that you have turned and walked away from Him. I believe a lot of the turning and walking away that has happened in our churches wasn't done instinctly, wasn't done deliberately, wasn't done intentionally. I believe a lot of the turning away that we see in these last days was done unintentionally, was done even thinking that's what God wants to do. But when I don't keep God's heart, God's value, and God's priorities, 
the main thing in my life, then I will begin to adopt things that look good but aren't good. I'll begin to adopt things that are against what God says, but we'll call it good. And this is what's happening in this book. They follow God. They slowly over time tolerate and allow things into their uh, uh, lives and into their camp and into their families and into their structure of life that go against God. Before you know it, they have fallen away. They begin to worship other idols. They begin to worship other things. They begin to, to, to marry people of the land. They begin to, to, to uh, uh, cohabitate where we shouldn't be cohabitating, but we are in the world to change the world. Hello? And I know that this is starting to sound a lot like right now. I'm trying to make the connection that the book of Judges is not that distant. That this mess is still happening today. Well, as a result of turning away, then their enemies would overtake them. Their enemies would overtake them. Their enemies would become stronger than they. Their enemies would, would come from all sides upon them and reduce them to fleeing, reduce them to hiding, reduce them to building their own strongholds, and now they're locked up. And look, we can be in here and have church, but if it's not going out, we're in a stronghold. I don't know about you. I want this to be a release point, not a restricting point. I want this house to be something we send people from, not draw people to, and then lock ourselves inside this little stronghold, sing our three songs, read our three verses, give our tithe, and go home. This is a place that we are sending kingdom agents into the world to change it. Not only should you be different as a result of being here, but your lives should then make influence everywhere you go. I would just, you know, venture to ask the question, however long you've been attending Anchor Faith Church, so it might be one day, you might be brand new here, uh, it might be uh, a year, it might be five years, it might be since the life of our church, ten years. However long you've been at Anchor Faith Church, this is the question I want to pose to you. How different is your world because you come here? How different is your marriage? How different are your kids? How different are the spheres of influences you walk into daily that I don't get to go into? Are you going into that job saying, man, they need to hear Pastor Mark? Or are you going into that job saying, because what I received yesterday, I'm going to bring some change. I'm going to show them the healing power of God. I don't need to drag them to an altar and get them in through those doors right there. I'll take it to them. Do it. How different is our world because of what you're getting here? That was God's intention with the Israelites. That they would be a blessing to everybody they came into contact with. And then those that would oppose them, God would remove their opposition, remove it out of their way. There was never, there was never a nation out there that was a match for the Israelites. Not the Egyptians, not the Philistines, not the Amalekites, not the Midianites. There was never a nation that was stronger than the Israelites. But yet when we allow and when we, would, when, when we deter and when we get off course, then we open ourselves up to being handed over to things that we should be ruling and controlling. So as a result of this opposition and this challenge following the circle back around, what do they do? They cry out to God for a deliverer. They cry out to God. And there's a cry out to God today. But I believe we have the wrong cry. I believe the cry of the church as a majority is God get us out of here. And that's the wrong cry. That's the wrong cry. Oh, if Jesus would just come back. Yeah, that's where you only have a perspective of how your life is impacted rather than the big picture as how is my life impacting others around me. If you knew the power of God on your life and if you knew the mission to which you've been assigned and if you knew the calling to which God has called you, you would not be asking him to take you out. You would be asking him to delay because I have work to do. 
I don't hear that cry very often. God, please don't come back. We're not done. Y'all prayed that prayer lately? <laughs> Jerry and I know I can get a yes from you. God, I'm not done. Please. Now, some of y'all might have said, Jesus, don't come back. I haven't been married yet, and I know there's a guy out there, and I want to experience that. All, those, all you single people holding Jesus back right now. All the married people are, please, come back. Some of y'all Googled this last week. Are you still married in heaven? How long is this for? Oh, man. What is the cry of the church today? You know, uh, you get enough opposition, you get enough challenge, you get enough of this that we're going through, and it'll move you to one or the other. I want to see a church that's resolved to be the difference. Not looking for an escape route. Not looking for an exit out, but asking how can I be? The other cry that we have is the cry of revival. Number one, you know, a lot of Christians crying out, God get us out. Jesus return. God send your son. What are you waiting for? That's okay. The disciples did the same thing to Jesus when he ascended. Uh, Is this when you're restoring the kingdom to the earth? That's essentially what they're asking. But the other one is the cry for revival. And although it's a right cry, I don't know that it's with the right intention and the right motive. And this is kind of where our church has been. If you're new here, if you've been here, uh, been, you know, just recently come in the last couple months, we've just kind of been in this vein, I feel like, and it's just getting stirred up of, what God is doing in the earth today in the midst of all this, that we just see the stage being set. I told the church Wednesday, you know, somebody asked me, you know, you know what, what has, what's different? You can just tell something's flipped. Your word, the, the message you bring, the boldness, the deliverance, and all I can say is there's just a sense of urgency right now in, in the season of our church and in my life, and I believe that it's the heart of God, that there's a sense of urgency to embolden ourselves around the mission of the king and his kingdom. And everything that's happening is only setting the stage for God's glory to come. That's all I can say to it. But in revival, this is the problem. In revival, we're usually waiting for a what? We're usually waiting on a what? And if you jump down to Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the giant or the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So what we just read is that the Midianites themselves moved into hiding places, into mountainsides and into camps and, and, and uh, uh, into, built for themselves strongholds and moved into caves and they're hiding out. And now their way of life has been disrupted. Anybody know what that's like? Uh, in essence, you could say they're working from home now. This is, this is the Israelites doing Zoom calls now. I mean, they have been disrupted. Everything's been challenged. It's not the normal way that this is supposed to be, but we're discovering new ways to do something. And so Gideon is, you don't thresh wheat in an enclosed space. You thresh wheat in an open space so the breeze can come and carry away the chaff as you're getting it off. You're making it harder for yourselves. Anybody doing work harder than you did? It's like the straw has been removed and you're still required to make the same amount of bricks. It's oppression. This is oppression to us. We're not designed to do life this way. We're not designed to, to withdraw. We're not to, and, and people want to call it, well, th- thank God for technical advantage. Man, I don't care what happens. The doors are not closing and we're not doing church online. That's not church. That is not church. It's an element of church. But church is coming together. There were just some things that we're not, we're not supposed to mess with. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And even more so as the day, I mean, he even gave you the disclaimer, you're going to want to do this more 
You're going to want to relinquish. You're going to want to shut down. You're going to want, but don't refrain, resist it. Don't do it. Because technology doesn't offer what we offer in this house. It's only an element. It's just a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. And this is what's happening. His way of life has been disrupted. He's now threshing wheat in a way that you're not supposed to. It makes the job harder. One of the words that I got last weekend with Pastor Paul being here was, God wants to show you how easy this really is. He wants to bring you back to the simplicity of the mission of the kingdom. He wants to bring you back to the, we have been doing this the hard way. We've been making it complicated. Uh, One of my favorite uh, ministers, uh, uh, Mark Hankins, he says it this way, the simplicity of the gospel is so easy that it takes a theologian to confuse you. The simplicity of the gospel is easy, guys. This is easy. The mission is simple. We make it difficult. We complicate it. We compound it. Rather than just following him at his word. And so now Gideon is down here hiding out. And he's hiding the little bit of wheat that he has because the Midianites are raiding their farms and raiding their crops and raiding everything that they have. We just can't operate this way. We cannot operate in fear. And in verse 12, here it is. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now remember, back up in verse uh, 6, it said, The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. You know, after today, you're going to become careful with what you cry out to the Lord for. I think you're going to desire it, but I think you'll also be careful. Because a lot of times, when we cry out to the Lord for revival, or we cry out to the Lord for change, our thought is, what are you going to do about it? What? What? When we read about those revivals, and we read about those tent revivals, and we read about those signs and wonders, and the people coming in droves, and, 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 and the, the, the night after night, day after day, lining up to get into buildings, I mean, just powerful testimonies. We think of the what, but we rarely think of the who. And God loves to answer what questions with the who. He loves to do it. What are you going to do? And he says, you're it. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Nothing about Gideon's life demonstrated mighty hero, valiant warrior, deliverer, leader, commander. Nothing about Gideon's life revealed this, exemplified this, even gave us a, 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 a thought in our mind that he's looking for an assignment. He's not looking for an assignment. He's part of this group, these, this Israelite group that is just crying out to the Lord, deliver us, help us. But so often we want God to move at our expense. We want God to move, but we don't have any role to play. And I'm telling you right now, in these last days, especially, God is not going to move without using mankind. God is not going to do anything in this earth without using you and I. God is not going to do anything in this earth. He never has, and he never will, and I'll tell you why. He can't. Oh, what do you mean God can't? God can do anything. God can do whatever he wants. Well, no, he can't. He can't lie. He can't sin. There are some things that God can't do. And another thing that God can't do is he can't go against his word. And so when he spoke his word and he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he said these next words, let them rule. When he spoke those words, he immediately removed himself from the equation of doing anything in the earth without using you and I. 
And for him to go back on that and say, okay, they sinned, they blew it, they, they won't follow me, they, they were disobedient, they're no longer a candidate anymore, so I guess I'm just going to have to find a way to get down in the earth and do it myself. For him to do that would make him a liar. And if he can lie about one thing, he can lie about all of it. God is not going to do anything in this earth without finding a Noah to build an ark and Abraham to have a son. A Moses to deliver a people. A David to kill a giant. He's using you and I. I said, he's using you and I. I said, you better get this this morning. He's using you and I. And you can stand by and be a spectator, or you can jump in and be a participator. You can be a contributor to the cause, or you can just be one that's a consumer that sits back and says, I just want the benefits of revival, and I want the fun of revival, but I don't want to get in and participate. I mean, you know, here's, what, here's where mine, my mind goes in 10 years of pastoring, three years prior to that being a children's pastor. Here's where my mind goes when I think about revival services night after night after night. I think about children's workers in classrooms that are watching your kids while you're out here dancing and shouting and running and sweating and spitting and crying and doing all the things that we do in revival services. Somebody's watching those kids. (laughs) That's where my mind goes. Somebody told me just this past week, Pastor, I could do this every night. I could too. But I can promise you my children's staff, our Nautilus Junior staff, would be saying, Pastor, please, every night? I mean, I enjoy those kids, but cleaning up all that goldfish and, hello? That's where my mind goes, the administration of it. That's how I think. Sure, we'd love to have, we hear all these stories and read all these stories, but somebody's got to participate. Somebody's got to get involved. Somebody's going to have to run a parking lot. Somebody's going to have to greet at some doors. We're going to have to have some altar care workers down here. We got worship team members up here rehearsing and singing and singing and singing and singing and playing and playing and playing. And we got sound teams back here. And we got children's staff and and connection staff and guest experience staff and people taking photography and video. We've got to administrate the vision, not just cry out to God for him to do a what. And then he says, you're it. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. Not me. No, no, no. You do it. You heal the sick. You lay hands on the sick and I'll heal them. You cast out that demon. You speak to the demon and curse them. Come on now, guys. Are we going to participate? Are we going to stand by and watch him come through the clouds? No, we're going to get involved. We're the church of the last days. We're the ones that have the power. We're the ones to demonstrate the goodness of God. We're the ones. You're too shy to talk to somebody in public, but yet we're called to be witnesses. It's time that the church come out of the strongholds, come out of the caves, always expecting someone else to do it. I can promise you every man and woman of God that has been used to orchestrate a move of God didn't know they were doing it when they did it. They were crying out to God, and then they yielded themselves as available vessels saying, if it starts with me, it starts with me. Every one of them. Every single one. And before you know it, there's a service. There's a service, and another service, and another service, and another opportunity, and another moment. And testimony after testimony after testimony, and move after move after move. A church that just wants to stay shut up in its four walls and have their little services and their little meetings but doesn't want to participate is not a church that's going to do anything in these last days. It's time to get beyond. Beyond just crying out, God, come. Beyond just crying out, bring revival. Bring those great stories of old. No, it's time to participate. It says, mighty hero. Key words here. The Lord is with you. He's letting him know it doesn't matter what's against you. All that matters is 
I am with you. Isn't that what God told Joshua, exhorted him with in Joshua chapter 1? For I, the Lord your God, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For I am with you wherever you go, everywhere you step, everywhere the sole of your foot steps and treads. That, that, that land belongs to you. It's yours. And don't forget, don't forget, be of great courage. I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you, right? These words are powerful because we want to focus on what's against us and we forget what's in us. We forget who's with us. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? Do we, do we live like we believe that? I'm just showing you how this revival happens. I'm just showing you how this deliverance takes place. Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. Yes, yeah, that's the first thing that pops in our mind when God says, the Lord's with you. And immediately you want to come with all the reasons why he's not. If the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening? If the Lord is with us, why is all this opposition again? Like, we think that an indication of the Lord being with us is the lack of opposition. Somehow we have this idea that if our lives are rosy and, and, and everything's going gray and it's just a bed of flowers and everything we want happens, that's an indication that God is with us. Now remember, God's people had wandered away. God's people had disobeyed him. God's people right now are in a position of disobedience, but yet God still has the audacity to say, I'm with you. Meaning, it's not on me to come back to you. It's on you to come back to me. The Lord is with you. What's happening in your life right now, it's not an indication of the departure of God. What's happening all around this world is not, a, is not an indication that God has given up on America. What is happening in our world today is not an indication that God has given up on the world and he's ready to just burn the whole thing up. He says, I am with you. Opposition, I'm with you in the stronghold. I'm with you in the cave. I'm with you when you run. I am with you, he says. The Lord is with you. Well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Where are the revival meetings we used to see? Where are the, those great tent meetings of old? Where are all these great leaders, all these great Christian leaders, all these men? Where are all the miracles and the signs and the wonders? It's amazing how often we just want God to do what he did last time. Yeah. I mean, if I say the word revival right now, you know, let's say there's 100, uh, I don't know, 120 people in this room right now, give or take. 150? 150 people in this room right now. Is that our largest number in this room at one time? I don't know if it, it's not. It's close. 150 people in this room right now. I say the word revival, and there could be 150 different ideas of what that even means. Everybody in this room is picturing some guy or some tent or some service or maybe a book that taught you about revival. Or maybe some of you in this room have no idea what it even means to be revived. What revival even is, spiritually speaking. No, this isn't about copying what happened last time. This isn't about following some template. This isn't about they were praying uh, in the room for 10 days, and then on the 11th day, God showed. This isn't about some pattern or formula. Or This is about getting with the heart of God. And when the church will get with the heart of God, he will bring his presence down. He will move in their midst. He will demonstrate by his spirit the power of God in operation with no doubts. Undeniable, we were with God today. Undeniable, God moved in our midst. Undeniable, God has intervened in this situation. It's not because we have some pattern or formula or context or template that we follow. He's saying, Where, where's all these miracles then? 
Where's all these signs? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now Jesus or, or God in this moment could easily take this moment and respond to that. He could easily come out and say, uh, well, to inform you, Gideon, I'm not the one to blame. You are. I'm not the one to be looking at and criticizing for what's happening. Uh, just to let you know, you guys wandered from my word. I gave clear instruction. I gave clear direction that this is where you're supposed to. He could easily appoint that. But look what he says in the next verse, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. See, we may look for opportunities to pass blame, but God will pass up opportunities. He said, this isn't about who's at fault. This isn't about who blew it. This isn't about who did right or wrong. This is about who am I raising up to deliver and rescue this people. Church, if we're going to see a move of God, we're going to have to stop pointing fingers at the ones that we think are holding us back from a move of God. We're going to have to stop looking around and saying, all right, who did it? Who blew it? We're going to have to quit the finger pointing, the divisiveness, the blame game, the accusatory spirits. We're going to have to get rid of all this, and we're going to have to say, we all just need to get in alignment in our hearts and in our minds and say, God, come. God, rescue us. God, deliver us. And if you want to use us to be a part of the move of God, then we are yielded, ready, and able. We lock arms together. Doesn't matter the color of our skin. Doesn't matter where we come from. Doesn't matter what denomination you were. Doesn't matter what your background was. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on. We lock arms together and we say we will be a part of the end time revival. We will be a part of a move of God in the last days. That's how this stuff happens. Not by, we got to start speaking to the potential inside of people. Quit waiting for people to prove to you that they are strong enough before you call them up and you raise them up and use them. God isn't waiting for Gideon to prove to him, uh, you're a mighty man of valor. Hey, I'm just coming by to visit. You're down here threshing wheat, hiding out. You brave? You strong? You feeling good today? You feel like we could? He's not consulting him. He's not asking him. He's calling him. He's assigning him. He's receiving him. And he's speaking to the potential inside of him before he ever sees fruit of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, when a revival comes, it's going to be the least among you, the one you least thought God would use, that he's going to exalt and he's going to raise up to be the one leading him in. And it's not going to be tall enough. He's not going to be loud enough. He's not going to fit the bill. He's not going to check off the boxes. Or she will not be the one that you thought. But God is raising up somebody in these last days. And you just better be ready to follow whoever he assigns. That's one of the first things we do when we see someone raise up. Well, who do they think they are? You mean the eighth brother? You mean the one that was still in the pasture? That's the king of Israel? What was wrong with Abinadab? He was firstborn. He's strong. He's tall. He's in the military. Yeah, everybody wants to start looking at our credentials. God doesn't look at our credentials. He looks at our calling. God looks at the character. God doesn't look on the outside. Where does he look? In the heart. For man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And the men and women that God is calling and raising up in these last days, they're going to have a heart after God. David was a man after God's own heart. And he didn't have the credentials. He didn't have the experience. He didn't have the exposure. He didn't have it all put together. He didn't have, he didn't check off all the boxes. But God was judging on a different criteria. And I'm telling you today, through Jesus, 
you meet the criteria. Oh, come on now. Through Jesus, you couldn't do it on your own. You weren't good enough. You couldn't make enough choices. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't live well enough. But by God, he called you before the foundations of the world. He assigned you. He appointed you. He empowers you. He equips you. And he says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not on your own works. Not by by what you've done. But by grace, you have been saved through faith. You are appointed. You are called. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty woman of valor. You are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You do have all all your riches and needs met according to his riches and glory. You do have God for you. You do have the spirit inside of you. Now rise up and live to the potential I see in you. Go with the strength you have. What's that mean? Do what you can. Do what you can. Come on, it's time to stop living the Christian life, this church life where we sit back and just watch God do everything for us. I'm going to do what I can. Go in the strength you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Look, your first impulse when God calls you will always to give, be to give excuses. Moses did it. Abraham did it. David did it. Paul did it. But Paul said these words. He said, even those things that I have accomplished, I consider it dung. What matters is what Jesus Christ did in my life. That's what matters. All my successes and my failures, I press on toward the mark, forgetting what is behind. He said, none of that makes me a a, a credential. No, none of that helps me meet the criteria. None of that causes me to be the reason why God has called me. No, it's because of who he is. You can be from the weakest clan, the smallest family, the least in the family, the least in the tribe. And the Lord said to him, verse 16, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one What will you focus on? All the reasons why you can't? Come on, if I get one person out of this service today, out of 150 in this room, that'll rise to the challenge and say, I'll meet the challenge. I'm not going to look at my criteria anymore. I'm not going to look at my past anymore. I'm not going to look at at all my failures anymore. I'm not even going to lean on my successes anymore. I'm not going to lean on how much money I do have, the experience I have, the friends I have, the connections. I, I am going to rely simply and strictly on the potential that God has placed inside of me. If that's you, just shoot your hand in the air today. I want to rise to the man and woman God's called me to be. I want to be part of the reason why revival shows up in this world. I want to be the one that ushers in the last day. I want to be the one. Luke chapter 4. I want to highlight a couple things. We'll wind this down. Y'all doing all right today? I just want to stir you up. Just stir you up. So easy to discount and discredit. What God wants to do seems so great. How would he and why would he use someone so small, so insignificant? What man would write off, God has written into the plan of God in these last days. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus, here it is, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. See, I need to be filled with the Spirit, but I also need to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you jump down to verse 14, after the temptation, the record of temptations there, 
takes place. Verse 14, then Jesus returned, here it is, in the power of the Spirit. So he was filled with the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, and now with the power of the Spirit, he returns to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. You jump down to verse 16, and it says this, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember what God told Gideon? I am with you. I will be with you. I am sending you. I am calling you. I am assigning you, I am appointing you, and now I am anointing you or I am putting my spirit upon you so that you can fulfill the work to which I am calling you to do. And now Jesus, we see, is filled with the spirit. He's led by the spirit. He's operating in the power of the spirit. And now verse 18, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel. Watch what he's anointed to do. A lot of times we think of the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit as as a show or as entertainment or to prove what I have. But this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's gone to the poor the brokenhearted, to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Look at who Jesus was sent to. It wasn't to look good in front of church people. It wasn't to put on a show. It wasn't to demonstrate how spiritual I am. He was anointed Filled with the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit to do what? To go to the poor the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Being spiritual or receiving the power of God in your life is not what you need to get before great people. It's what you use to go to minister to people in need, to those that don't have what you have. We've taken this in our churches that we only get around other people as spiritual as we are. When's the last time your anointing took you to someone more broken than you? When's the last time your anointing took you to someone who didn't have what you have, who hasn't experienced what you've experienced, who hasn't been where you've been, who hasn't done what you've done? When's the last time your anointing took yourself to someone to the least of these? The poor, brokenhearted, the captive the blind, and the oppressed. I grew up in an age where televangelists wanted to be around the rich, the healed, the one with all the stuff, the one with all the accolades, the one with all the money. That was their only attempt. It was a misuse of the anointing, just like Samson. The anointing is is, is something we have to be so careful with in our lives. Because if we're not careful, we will manipulate it for our benefit. And Jesus said, "You you are not anointed for your benefit. If people around you are not changed, then what are you using your anointing for? Who is receiving the benefit of the anointing of God on your life? Who is receiving the benefit of you coming up and sitting up under this kind of word, sitting up under this kind of ministry, sitting up under something so real and so tangible and so powerful? Who is receiving the benefit of what God is doing in your life? This is what I tell people all the time. I teach it in one of my leadership classes in Bible school. I say, the anointing is not for you. It's not for you. It's for who you're supposed to impact. Gideon was anointed not to deliver himself, but to deliver an entire nation. 
that needed to be rescued. Jesus wasn't anointed for himself. No, he says, I'm going to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. And here it is, for God was with him. Worship team, if you come. This is the most sobering part of this service right now. And everything I've said to this point, you can write off and say, that's for someone else. Everything that I've mentioned, everything I've given you, it's easy to sit in these services and take your notes and draw in your Bible and, 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 and wait for me to get done and think about what you want to eat for lunch. It's easy to just do our Christian duty. I pray the Holy Spirit has allowed me to convey this as powerfully as I feel it. Because the essence of this message is this. This is not for someone else. If you're sitting in that seat saying, oh, I thank God Pastor Mark is anointed. Pastor Mark's going to usher in a revival. Pastor Mark's going to do this. Pastor Mark's going to preach this. Pastor Mark's going to heal these people. And you've missed it. Because Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what you can do. If you don't get this today, if it's not resonating right now, I pray that you just sit up under this word as many times as you have to hit replay on that podcast until it gets in your spirit. He's not looking for someone else. He's looking for me. If Gideon, threshing wheat, hiding out in his man-made cave, in his man-made stronghold, if he could be called a mighty man of valor, Some of you in this room, you've never had someone speak to your potential. You've never had someone speak to what's on the inside, to what you don't even know is there. I'm telling you about the Spirit of God right now. This is a house where we will speak to potential. You don't have to prove it to us. You don't have to show it to us. You stay faithful in this house. You stay committed to whatever God calls you to. And he will raise you up. But we are a house where we speak to potential. This is the church where we will speak to what you don't even know is there. And when I do it, don't you dare push back on it. Don't you dare tell me, Pastor Mark, I can't do that. I can't lead that. I can't teach that. I can't play that. I can't run that. No, you be like Gideon. You say, if you see it, then I'll do it. This is how revival comes, guys. Somebody took on something that was way bigger than they were. Somebody said yes when everything inside of them wanted to say no. Somebody responded to the call of God. And the whole time they were asking, why me? Why me? Why me? 
What can I do? What have I done? What have I proven? What do I have? I don't have anything to bring to the table. And yet that's the very man God is saying, come out of the pasture. The prophet's here and he wants to anoint you for king's service. Would you stand with me? I want to do this. Everybody sit down. If you are under the age of 30, stand up. We're not losing this generation. As long as I've been a Christian, I've heard the move of God is one generation away from being lost. It's not happening. I'm not giving you up. I'm not giving you up to the world. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for every teenager. I'm going to fight for every young adult. I'm going to fight for every elementary age student, every middle schooler. I'm going to fight for you. And the rest of you, you're not being left out, but you better get on board. And you better start speaking into the potential into these students and into these individuals. Because there are giants in this room standing up right now. Quit calling out all the mess that they do. Quit highlighting every time they get it wrong and start speaking to the life of God that's inside of them. If you're standing up, raise your hand to Jesus right now. Come on, commit your life right now. Don't look at me funny. Close your eyes and get with Jesus. He needs you. He needs you. He needs this next generation. He needs this next generation to bring his kingdom. I may not even see it come, but you may. And if that's possible, he needs you. He needs your heart. He needs your passion. He needs your vigor. He needs your talent. He needs your gift. He needs your ability right now in the name of Jesus. I declare the peace of God, the protection of God to surround every single one of these individuals standing up right now. You know the potential. And we will draw it out. We will pull it out. We will, we will not yield to the world. We will not allow them to have a greater influence in their lives than the church, than the king. They should feel safe here. Not feel like it's going to be called out of them if they blow it and miss it. This should be a place of safety. This should be a place of challenging the life of God inside of them. And I speak to that right now in the name of Jesus. That they will rise to everything you have called them to be. We are not giving up on them. You have not given up on them. This is a house where we will see their potential pulled out. And we will steward their gifts, Father. I commit myself right now as the pastor of this church, as the shepherd of this flock. We will steward their gifts well. We will correct them when they get it wrong. We will encourage them and build them up and equip them for the work of ministry. But we will not cast them aside and say, well, you got to get to this point before we even consider you an effective. You are effective now. You are right now. You are holy now. You are positioned now. And you are anointed now. In the name of Jesus. Everyone else stand up with me. Just feel the Spirit of God. A yielded heart. A softened heart. He's not looking at the outward. He's looking at your heart. I know you have every reason to write yourself off. 
I know you have every reason to think he would never use you. Some of us in this room, just as the Israelites we just read about, wandered. You wandered. You betrayed the word. You betrayed the covenant. You were in covenant. But he wants, to, he wants you to know right now, the Lord is with you. He's saying to you today what he said to Gideon. I am with you. I am sending you. I am with you, and I am sending you. I am with you, and I am sending you. I am with you, and I am sending you. Come on, just let that resonate in your spirit right now. He's saying, I am with you, and I'm sending you. I'm sending you into the highways and the byways. I'm sending you into the workplace. I'm sending you into the school. I'm sending you into the hallway. I'm sending you into the classroom. I'm sending you into that environment. I'm sending you into the ball field. I'm sending you into the complex. I'm sending you into that sphere of influence. I'm sending you, mighty man of valor. I am with you. But God, I'm with you. But you don't know, I'm with you. But last night, but I am with you. And I'm sending you. I'm with you. And I'm sending you. Just lift your hands to heaven right now. Father, we consecrate ourselves to your call. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.